Well, good morning, Bridgewater Conklin. My name is Joel Kessler. I'm a pastoral intern at our Montrose campus, and I'm super excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, Just a little bit about me. I've been going to Bridgewater Church since I was about nine or ten years old, so it really is a joy to get to be an intern at Bridgewater and really get learn and, and be taught how to be a pastor from the church that I grew up with, grew up in. Um, I came here today with my wife, Krista. Here's a picture of the two of us. We've been married for a year and seven months now, so that's pretty awesome. And also, in that time, we have become experts in today's conversation on conflict. Okay, maybe that's not true, but conflict is something that all of us here are no strangers to. Maybe you encountered some conflict today just trying to round up all your kids and try to get to church this morning. Or maybe you have conflict when it comes to money, how you spend your money and how other people think you should spend your money. Or maybe it's a bit more serious than that. Maybe someone has wronged you. They've done something against you, and as a result, now there is conflict. So when it comes to conflict, sometimes it doesn't even have to be something serious. We can find dumb and stupid things to argue about. So I thought today I would try to create some hopefully silly conflict. For example, there are actually people out there who think that Coca-Cola tastes better than Pepsi. But what do you guys think? Raise your hand if you think Coca-Cola is better than Pepsi. Absolutely, Jeff, no. Okay, now raise your hand if you think Pepsi is better than Coca-Cola. Dude, we've got a majority. That was not the case first service. At least we can all agree that if you think they taste the same, you are wrong. Anyway, moving on. This next one is not at all controversial, but which is better, dogs or cats? Raise your hand if you think dogs are better than cats. I see two hands in the back. Now raise your hand if you think cats are better than dogs. Unfortunately, my wife is not here at the moment, but she would have raised her hands for cats, and I raised my hand for dogs, and there's definitely no conflict there. Okay, this next one will tell me a lot about who you are. Is the glass half full or half empty? Raise your hand if you think the glass is half full. Now raise your hand if you think the glass is half empty. Ooh, there's way fewer of... Anyway, well, I don't like to call that pessimism. I like to call it being realistic. At least that's what I keep telling myself. Okay, this next one is quite controversial on the internet, but pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Raise your hand if you love pineapple on pizza. Two hands here in the front. I love pineapple on pizza. Like one of my favorite ways to have it. Okay, now raise your hand. If you hate it, it should not be done. It might even be an abomination. Wow, that's a fairly even split. I think that's cheating. You can't, you can't raise somebody else's hand for them. <laughs> this sermon is going to be perfect for you. Anyway, <laughs> okay, one more. Don't worry, this one I promise is not controversial. Apple or Android? Raise your hand if you prefer Apple. Now raise your hand if you prefer Android. Yeah, there's more than I thought. Well, hopefully we didn't create new, real, lasting conflict, but what do we do with conflict? Because life is not a matter of if you fight, but really when you fight. 
And what we're trying to figure out today is how can we do that well? Because if we want to have better friendships, better relationships at work, or even a better marriage, how do we handle conflict? Well, today we're going to be looking at God's word and see what he has to say when it comes to conflict. So today we're going to be in the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn there, or you can follow along on the screen beside me. But this book was written by a man named Paul, who was writing to a group of Christ followers who lived in Rome, and he was writing to them about how they need to live because of what God had done for them. Because God saved these people from their sins, how should they live? So here's what we're going to do. Let me give you Paul's summary, and then we will back up and go through the details together and see how Paul gets there. So Romans chapter 12, we'll read the last verse in the chapter, verse 21. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Okay, that's a pretty simple concept. We honor God and we honor others by overcoming evil with good. When we have conflict and someone does something wrong, they do something bad or even something evil, we must overcome or conquer evil by doing good. Well, that sounds simple, but once again, how do we do that? Well, from this passage today, Paul's going to give us five strategies to overcome evil with good. Five strategies to help you in the conflicts that you face in your life. So let's look at the first strategy together. We'll be backing up to verse 14. Here's what it says. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. So overcoming evil is going to start with what we say. What we say when we are in conflict may determine how we go about resolving the conflict. And something interesting here, um, it says don't curse someone. This here is not talking about swearing or swear words. This would be more when you're trying to invoke or bring about punishment on someone, often depending on the culture, supernaturally. Maybe you could think of it like in, a, in a pagan culture of, may this God curse your field and you won't have any crops. It's kind of that idea. And maybe what that looks like today is wishing something bad upon the person you're in conflict with. Like, I really hope that when they go out to eat later today, they find a hair in their food, something like that. But Paul is saying that when you want to curse someone, when you are angry at someone, when you're in conflict with someone, you need to bless them and pray for them. And from that, we see the first strategy is to control your tongue. And one thing I want to tell you real quick, Paul is writing this letter to Christians who are actually being persecuted. In the next few years after this letter was written, Rome is going to kill hundreds of Christians. And Paul says, those people who are going to kill you and are trying to kill you, you need to bless them. Pray for them. Don't wish bad upon them. That's some pretty serious controlling your, your tongue. And, and you guys, think about, think about your own lives, the arguments that you've had. Have you ever been in an argument that just got out of control because you couldn't control your tongue? 
Or maybe somebody else escalated things because they just said something that made the situation work. Or work? No, it didn't work. They made the situation worse by what they said. And you guys know this, the consequences of not controlling our tongues are too high. Friendships break down. Maybe you get fired from your job. You wound your spouse. So really here, the principle is when you want to attack with what you say, when you want to curse them, you need to pray for them. You need to bless them. And really, a a simple way to apply this strategy is the mantra, think before you speak. Before you respond in an argument, before you send that text, think through what you're going to say before you say it. In fact, the Bible even says it this way. It says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Control your tongue. The next strategy that Paul gives us is to focus on others. Look at verse 15. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So this is fairly straightforward. If someone's rejoicing, they're happy, they're excited about something, well, rejoice with them, be happy with them. Or if they're sad, there's something difficult that they're going through, maybe they don't need advice right in that moment, they just need someone to be sad with them. Look out for the needs of others. What are they going through? What are their emotions? How can you help them? How can you focus on them? In fact, here's a great example of this. Uh, One day, my wife came to pick me up from work as her and I both work different jobs and we share one vehicle. And she came to pick me up and she brought me a snack. That's pretty awesome because I get hungry often, so super sweet. Then I noticed that she started doing this regularly. And I asked her, why, why did you start doing this? Maybe I shouldn't have asked, but she said, well, I noticed that on the drive home, you would get kind of angry, snappy, uh, easily angered and frustrated during the drive home. So I figured, oh, you're probably hungry. Your blood sugar's dropping. You're getting hangry. Let me give you something to eat. Well, me being hungry is no excuse for my sinful behavior. I should have had self-control and controlled my tongue. But Krista, my wife, focused on others. She saw how I was responding. She saw my emotions and my behavior, and she strategically responded in a way to help us communicate better on our drive home. And the implications of this are are huge. For example, did your boss yell at you at work? Again, doesn't excuse their behavior, but are, are they having a stressful day? Because information like that may determine how you go about responding to them? Are you in an argument with one of your friends and and emotion and tensions are high? How can you speak to them? How can you respond in a way that's not going to escalate things, but still make sure you say what needs to be said? How can you focus on others? And I'd like to point you uh, toward a great resource, a book that I've read a couple times. Um, I've read it twice so far, planning on reading it again this year, called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. And as far as I'm aware, the authors of this book are not Christian. 
but they give you some incredibly practical ways to live out this principle of focusing on others. How do you approach a conversation? How do you think in a clear head through the conversation? How can you put the other's interest needs before you? So if you want, you can take a picture of it, write the title down. Again, I would highly recommend it because I think this will help you live out focusing on others. So we need to control our tongues. We need to focus on others. Let's keep reading and see the next strategy. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Maybe you've heard the phrase, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, there's some truth to that. It's reinforcing a biblical principle that when someone does something evil, doing evil back doesn't fix the problem. Um, if someone does something evil toward you and you respond the same way, well, now you're just like them. You have become evil yourself. So what this is saying is instead, you need to live in such a way that people can see you are different. Even though someone responds evil to you, you don't respond the same way. But I think it naturally raises the question, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to, I don't know, let the other person get away with it? Why would I just let them be evil toward me? Well, we can find the answer to that if we skip ahead to verse 19. Here's what it says. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. It is not our job to bring justice. That belongs to God. God is the one who will make wrong right. And if you think you get angry at sin, you look at the evil in the world and that frustrates you and you want something to be done about it, how do you think God feels? He's in control of all things. His timing is good, but God will deal with evil. God does hate sin and God will deal with sin. God is the one who brings justice. Now, I'm not saying you can't use a, a court system to convict a murderer or if someone steals your money, you can't get it back. What I'm saying is, is our hope is not in the legal system. I mean, even someone going to jail doesn't make the wrong they've done right. Only God can truly make wrong right. Only God can truly pay someone back for their sin. Only God can truly bring justice. So if justice belongs to God and someone doesn't fight fair in our conflicts or some situation outside of our control and someone else is doing evil, what do we do? Well, strategy number three, keep doing what is right. Look again at, at verse 17. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. So how you respond in a conflict when someone else doesn't fight fair speaks louder than any argument that you can come up with. Now, once again, if you're like me, you probably don't like the sound of suffering even though you didn't do anything wrong. And once again, maybe it doesn't feel right at the thought of potentially letting someone get away 
with the wrong that they've done. Now, I want to point you to what God says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Here's what, um, here's what uh, Peter writes. You can go forward one more slide. Perfect. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Sometimes, even though you love God, even though you live obediently to him, when you're living in a broken, sinful world that hates God and rebels against him, evil and suffering have a way of of finding itself into the life of a follower of Jesus. But what I want to say to you, and what I think Peter is getting at, is even in that situation, you can obey God. You can trust God with that situation. And obeying God is always worth it. Maybe God is using this to grow your dependence on him. Maybe he's working in a way that you can't see yet. Or maybe God is simply showing a sinful world what it looks like when a follower of Jesus obeys him in the midst of evil. And remember, no one's going to get away with any evil that they've done. God is the one who brings justice, and he will deal with every sin. So no matter your situation, no matter how the other person lives, no matter what they say, you need to respond like a follower of Jesus. You need to obey God and keep doing what is right. And this ties right into our fourth strategy, which is recognize your limits. Look at verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So sometimes conflict is just unavoidable. No matter what you do, sometimes people just do things and there just cannot be peace. But this verse doesn't say you must keep the peace at all costs no matter what. It says as far as it depends on you, be at peace with others. Sometimes whether or not there's peace is going to depend on the other person. And when that happens, you need to recognize your limits. Recognize that you are not the one in control of everything. And that's an area where you need to trust God with the other person's response. And and let me tell you something about being a follower of Jesus. There are times when obeying him means you might be against the rest of the world. Jesus says this, and everyone else says that. And in those situations, when there cannot be peace, you trust God with it, and you keep doing strategy number three. You keep doing what is right. Because God's in control. God's in control of you. God's in control of the other person. And God is trustworthy. You can trust God with your conflicts. So to the best of your ability, do what you can to obey God. Do what you can to keep peace with others. But when that's out of your control, remember your limits and remind yourself that God is the one who's in control. Now, some people may read this verse and see it as an excuse to never engage in conflict. If I, if I bring up this person's sin, if I, if I bring up this issue, well then, There won't be peace, and and now I'm disobeying the Bible, right? Well, I I want to tell you something. If someone is living in sin, if someone is making foolish choices that could ruin their life, and you have the opportunity to speak into that, and you choose not to, well, that's not real peace. Ignoring 
the problem is not peace. And in fact, it's kind of hateful toward the person. It's a loving thing to do to help someone, to call out sin, to help someone become more like Jesus. So what, what, what I'm getting at, excuse me real quick, ignoring the problem does not bring real peace. Yes. Okay. So as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. If someone else is making foolish choices and there cannot be peace, you trust God with that. I apologize. Dude, I got so excited. I got right off track, but that's okay. So, oh, that's what it is. The goal of conflict. So when, as a Christian, should I engage in conflict? When do I bring up an issue? When do I speak into someone's life when they're making foolish choices and living in sin? Well, you do that with the goal of restoring peace. You want to help people grow in their walk with God. You want people to make wise choices because sin will never bring about, one, what you want, and it will always take you places where you don't want to go. And at the very least, it is disobedient and dishonoring to God. So the loving thing to do sometimes is to engage in conflict, but the goal of conflict is always peace. And in that, once again, you can't control how other people respond. It's an area where you need to trust God. So keep doing what is right and recognizing your limits are kind of tied together. So with that being said, let's read these last few verses and see the last strategy to overcome evil and how to handle conflict well. Look at verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So the last strategy to overcome evil with good is to kill them. I'm kidding, is to kill them with kindness. And, and hopefully you hear the irony of those statements from these last few verses. But remember, it is God's job to bring justice. God will deal with the evil that people do. That's God's concern. So what is my concern? Well, I need to obey God. I need to be kind to those I am in conflict with. Paul was saying, take care of the person's need. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And who is Paul writing this to? To Christians where other people are trying to kill them. Be kind to the people trying to kill you. That's, that's pretty kind. And sometimes I look at that and I wonder, how, how can I do that? But before I answer that question, let me tell you something else real quick and we'll get there. What does the phrase heap burning coals on their head mean? That doesn't sound very kind to me. Well, think of it like a figure of speech. Probably the audience, when they read that, were like, oh, that makes perfect, like keeping burning coals on his head. I get that. But since it's a couple thousand years ago, we don't know exactly what that phrase means. Well, think of it like this. If someone does something evil to you, they know they've done something wrong, they're angry at you, and they chose to do it, 
and you choose to be kind anyway, it'll probably get them asking, why would they be kind even though I was mean to them? That doesn't make sense. They should be trying to get even. And when you choose to be kind, even though the other person chooses to do evil, well, they get convicted. Their conscience burns against them. It brings shame upon them. Not in every case, but it tends to happen that way. And I've seen this all the time when I worked at Chick-fil-A. I worked at the one in Dixon City. It was a lot of fun working there. And when I was trained, we were trained to deal with grumpy and angry customers by killing them with kindness. So I've had a ton of different people mad at me, hopefully not because I was being a jerk, but they didn't get enough Chick-fil-A sauce or their order was messed up or they waited in line a long time and different people were just mad at me for a number of different reasons. But no matter the reason, I always had to respond the same way. It's my pleasure. Hey, how, how can I make this right? Let me go chat with the cooks and see if I can figure out where your order went wrong, if we can make this right. Hey, let me get you some more Chick-fil-A sauce. Hey, can I carry this meal out to your car for you? No matter how angry the other person was, my job was to be kind. And most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, their whole demeanor would change because they're mad. They know that I know they're mad and I'm choosing to be kind anyway. And the majority of the time, they would apologize and be like, hey, I'm sorry, it's not your fault. You just delivered the food, you didn't make it. Or um, you're just doing your job, I, I get that. Or I'm waiting in line and I'm hungry. People's whole demeanor would change because I chose to be kind. Now here, let me answer the question, how can I be kind when I don't want to be kind to people? Well, if I could be kind to grumpy customers for a job just to get paid, how much more Should I be kind to others because of how kind God has been to me? Do you remember earlier when we talked about God bringing justice? God will make payment. He will bring judgment on sin. Without Jesus, that means God is punishing me. That means I am paying for my sins. And the Bible teaches that the punishment for sin is death, both physical death and what we call spiritual death, spending eternity, which is forever in hell, the place that the Bible describes as a place of weeping and darkness. And if that's what I deserve, because of all the evil and all the sin that I have done against God and breaking his laws, if that's what I deserve, and God has been kind to me, when I didn't deserve that, he sent Jesus to die and, and to save me, how can I not be kind to others? No matter what anyone can ever do to me, that is nothing compared to how evil I've been against God. And if God can forgive me of that, if God has been kind to me through that, okay, I can be kind to others. Now, I'm not perfect in that area by any means. I still struggle and I'm trying to be kind to others. But putting that in perspective of what my sin is and who God is, that helps me be kind to others even when it's difficult. And again, that, that's something that's easy to say. I don't know what burdens and conflicts you're carrying today, but I want you to know that God is good and that God is kind. And you can trust him with the conflicts that you're facing. Okay, so five strategies to help us overcome evil with 
good. Five strategies to help us in the conflicts that we face. First is to control your tongue. Second, focus on others. Third, keep doing what is right. Fourth, recognize your limits. And five, kill them with kindness. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the different conflicts you are facing today, or maybe the conflicts you know you're about to face, whether it's a family member, at work, or whatever it is. Which one of these five strategies do you need to work on? Which one of these five strategies are you going to work on this week? Here's what I recommend. Just pick one, because it takes time to, to get good at all of these and to learn all of these and to let God change your life. It takes time. So the one that I'm working on, control your tongue. I am an expert when it comes to listening to what someone's saying, and then I think I know where they're going, so I interrupt them and tell them what I think they're going to say, and it turns out I was wrong and I should have listened in the first place. But, okay, that gets me into conflict. I need to control my tongue. But what one do you need to work on? Maybe you're like me and you need to watch what you say. Think before you speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Or maybe you need to focus on others. Stop thinking about yourself in the conflict and think about what's best for the other person or the situation. Or maybe you are doing what is right and you need to keep at it. Let me encourage you to keep obeying God. Or maybe what you need to do is recognize your limits. Remind yourself of who God is, how in control he is, and that you can trust God with your conflict. Or maybe you need to work on being kind to the people you are in conflict with. Now, if you're wondering, well, as soon as I go home, I'm probably going to forget most of these. Don't worry, we got you. As you leave today, you will get a magnet that have all five of the strategies on them. And to, to brag on my coworkers who kind of put this together, these are good quality magnets too. Not the magnets that you like stick on a piece of paper and it just slides right off like this should stick to your fridge, but take it and stick it in a place where you're going to see it, a place where you can learn and remember and memorize these because these are coming from God's word. We want you to apply God's word to your life and handle conflict in ways that God teaches us how. So not only do we have a magnet that you can take, you'll get it as you leave today, one magnet per family. I also want to point you in the direction of another great resource that we have for you. So on our church website, um, bridgewater.church, if you hover your mouse over watch and click on message resources, for some different sermon series that we've done, we've compiled a bunch of resources that you can use or point you in the direction towards that will help you in the different things you're going through. So for this current sermon series, Let's Stop Pretending, we have resources to help you with conflict. Everything from books, uh, articles, videos, and if you don't want to uh, Google search it on your phone, you can scan this QR code and it'll take you to those message resources. But really, here's what I'm trying to say. I want to leave you with this. You cannot escape conflict. Even if you're 100% obedient to Jesus while living in a sinful world that rebels against God, Conflict will come. And oftentimes, my own sin creates enough conflict when I'm not obedient to Jesus. So if we want to become more like Jesus, then we need to learn how to handle 
conflict well. Paul wrote to the Christians who were in Rome, and in that we saw five strategies of how we can respond to conflict in a Christ-honoring way. And one thing I want to say real quick, you will not be able to apply these five things on your own. You need to trust and lean into the power of Christ. The Bible teaches that when you are saved from your sins, when you make Jesus your forgiver and leader, he helps you become more like Jesus. It's something you can't do in your own strength. So do you want to have better friendships? Do you want to have a better relationship with your kids? A better witness at work or maybe a better marriage? Then as far as it depends on you, live like Jesus and trust him with the things that you can't control. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I want to pray for each person that's here today. I don't know all the different burdens and and conflicts that they're facing today. But I ask that you would help them. Not even necessarily that you would take away their conflict, but that through it, you would help them to depend on you and you would help them to become more like Jesus. And God, I ask for your help with that in my life as well. Life can be difficult at times, Lord, and, and I need you. Each person here needs you. So again, Lord, help us to become more and more like Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.